It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. Welcome to The Answer Podcast. We are 11 days away from uh, the beginning of the NBA regular season. Uh, Today we don't have our number one boy, Chris Ryan, with us, but we do have our number two boy, Rob Mahoney, um, basically, I feel like has become one of the co-hosts of this podcast, uh, just because he is the most reliable and willing person on earth uh, for when one of me and Chris needs to step out. Rob, thank you for for joining us today. How's it going? Look, they don't just hand out number two, boy. You got to put in the hours to get to number two. Yeah, tell me what that process has been like. It's been extensive, you know, that's why I came in early, came in over the summer, got some time in the gym. I've been working on my corner three. I feel like I can guard one through five this season. I feel like I'm in great training camp shape. And so I'm ready to roll out with you today, Sirit. Mm-hmm. Did you gain any weight? No comment. I heard you just got married. So I'm going to assume that what whatever happened, uh, you know, probably not like the lean muscle that, that everybody's talking about this year uh unless like you know i i, I you're one of <laughs> I, do, do you hear that about lebron um only having lean muscle this season um like it just feels like i mean i feel like he's kind of always only had lean muscle but like it's also defying physics a little bit well when you put the millions of dollars into the maintenance of your body in you know part of that is surgical procedures to remove all the non-lean muscle and replace it graft it on with more mm-hmm. lean muscle I feel like that that is actually like the that that's what I that's what I want. That's what I want. Fuck exercise. Um we're actually going to be talking <laughs> That's the about next frontier. Fitness. The next frontier of NBA body maintenance, muscle grafting. <laughs> um speaking of the Lakers, uh we are going to be starting there this week. Uh we're going to be talking just straight down the middle. We're talking about contenders. Um the main four, and then we'll see if there is a, a dark horse. Uh, Rob, you might have one. I might have one. Uh, but we have an interesting situation this year where the Bucks and the Suns, who were in the finals last year, aren't really getting the same love uh, as the Nets and the Lakers, who, uh, you know, Lakers season and that season, for, you know, in, in, in different ways, fell apart due to injury. And now both teams look very different. Uh, so let's let's jump right in. I, I wrote about the Lakers this week, um, just about their starting lineup, about Anthony Davis at the five. Um, to me, I've been playing around with different sort of configurations of what their starting lineup can be, but I'm going to need your help because like it gets, I don't know, they could go in a lot of different directions. So what I'm at right now, obviously, is Davis, LeBron, Westbrook as the main three um i'm trying to find a way to start ad at the five uh because 
The Lakers don't really have a lot of stretch four options, so I feel like the best way to actually get him like real minutes at the five is to just play him alongside LeBron against real competition too. Like, why waste those great minutes against uh, against uh, you know the s- second unit? Uh, so those right. are the three that I've got right now. You can you can slide Malik Monk in there if you want to. You can slide you can slide Taylor Horton Tucker in there. Like as soon as Ariza got hurt, uh, he's out with with an ankle sprain. Like this whole configuration got really really complicated and i think that's what obviously people were worried about with the with the age of the lakers but yeah that's those are my four right now and i don't really know where to go from there where are you at rob well so i think we can actually pencil wayne ellington in there at that other wing spot i think that's probably in terms of pure function a guy Mm -hmm. who's going to shoot and only shoot and space the floor makes a lot of sense as far as what you would want on the wings but yeah that other spot is tricky and i think it comes down to you know, what is actually making an ideal starting five for this group versus finishing five versus mm-hmm. what's going to be your best lineup in the you know game seven of a playoff series. That's where AD at the five isn't always the best option. I think probably the best case scenario is that AD starts at center somewhere around like 50 to 60 games this season. Mm-hmm. And the other games you would have DeAndre, you would have Dwight, you would have someone to kind of help AD maintain a little bit. So it's just not so strenuous every game out. So you're gonna, I think you're going to see some of that. But in terms of who you'd want, probably at that three spot, if you're playing smaller, I kind of like Kent Bazemore. I, I like the fit of that. And most importantly, healthy or not, I'm just not at the point in my life where I'm trusting Trevor Ariza to be a meaningful part on an every night basis. So that's, I guess, where I'm kind of at with with Wayne Ellington, who is also 33 years old. And, you know, even in in the best of times, has never played the best defense. Uh, but that's kind of like the give or take with this with this Lakers team. Like, there's just not a lot of good two-way players. Like, you could throw Melo in there, and then you're not going to have any defense. Wayne, you're not going to have any defense. You're also going to be undersized, too. And that's the, kind of the issue with Kent. With, he's, he's a good defender, but he's also, he's 6'4". Um, and throwing him in when Westbrook is, you know, around 6'2", um, and, and Monk is also, Monk is a small shooting guard as well, 6'3", Wayne Ellington, another small shooting guard. Um, I'm okay with that in the regular season. Do you think Frank Vogel is going to, at some point in the season, just break? I mean, are we all? Aren't we all going to reach that point sometime in the next, like, three or four months? You know what? That's, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I'm already, you know, thinking about this uh, th- this starting lineup, I'm a little bit at my breaking point. <laughs> I mean, generally speaking, when we talk about coaches breaking, mm-hmm. what happens is they start out with the best of intentions, trusting younger players, trusting newer guys, and then they fall back into their old ways. And in this case, I think if Frank Vogel wanted to be more adventurous, he would probably start someone like Taylor Horton Tucker, mm-hmm. you know, with the length, with some dynamism. Maybe you're trading off a little bit in terms of some of the diminishing returns of putting another ball handler out there with LeBron and Westbrook and Davis at the same time, but that could be an option for you. And I think as we get more and more into security blanket territory, that's where Trevor Ariza starts to seem like a more appealing option. Yeah. Taylor's really interesting this season. Um, I'd say the only reason I don't immediately shoo him into the starting lineup is just because he really regressed as a shooter last year. Um, and as we know, that's kind of just like what the what the Lakers need, um, at least out of their their supporting cast. Uh, so I feel like he's actually like kind of a big X factor in terms of like, okay, is he going to come back with a stronger jump shot? That's obviously like I imagine as at, you know, at only he's only twenty years old, but I imagine that's the only thing that he's working on in the off season. I would hope. Uh, 
And the other thing, the other part of it is just like they don't have a lot of stretch four options either. So is he going to step up defensively if you play him alongside AD at the five? That then gives you another option uh, where you don't always have to pair him with LeBron. Um, but he's kind of like the only guy there that can, you know, slide between three, four, and five and like just give give the Lakers a little bit more lineup flexibility. Like it's it's really interesting to kind of just like seeing their whole training camp play out. Um, first of all, there were the acquisitions and you know, when you sign Dwight and uh and DeAndre Jordan and you don't have a lot of stretch four options, like the sense I had was that you were, we were going to see a ton of AD at the four. Um, AD comes into training camp. He says, you know, he expects to play a lot more center than he has in his career. Um, and then Frank Vogel kind of walks that back. And you can see why he walked it back. Like, I'm, it, it would, uh, I would obviously, I would love if Frank Vogel didn't give a crap about defense for the entire regular season. But, like, that's, that's just realistically not going to happen. And they don't have, like, the personnel to... To not get pummeled, <laughs> like you know, I think you can kind of like see these. I can see the blowbys already. Um, I can I can see like the front court having to having to clean up a lot of stuff. So it's it's interesting. Like I almost I almost feel like they're gonna need to. If Ariza isn't healthy, they're probably gonna need to make like a pickup at some point in the season to to shore up that depth. Yeah, I mean, what do you think their defense is gonna look like? I just have a hard time talking myself into the idea that this is going to be a normal, high-functioning Lakers defense with with this particular group of players. I think it can look a lot like it looked in uh, the 2019-20 season where, you know, there were definitely moments in the regular season where it wasn't great, but um, just having a lot of rim protection, having a lot of guys just roaming around in the paint, that's still valuable. Like, I think that's kind of what the Lakers proved in 2019-20. In um, and they had a lot of, like, double rotations, too. Like, that was kind of the benefit of having Dwight over Drummond is, like, he is just he is just a more agile defender even at his age uh, where, you know, you can have AD out on the perimeter and still then have Dwight, in, um, you know, roaming around the paint. There are definitely utility benefits to still, like, you know, having those guys and having them at the five. Um but yeah, I just I just feel like there's going to be a lot on Davis, honestly. Like it is it is very much just like the season of like like okay, are you going to be like bubble Anthony Davis essentially? Cuz that's like that is what will catapult the Lakers into the territory of the Nets and 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 the Bucks and like I don't know if like where we really have the Suns, we'll talk about them later, but that is ultimately like what's necessary. Like he's going to have to just become like the guy who, you know, you just can't come in there. He's going to block every single shot. Like he's going to be everywhere. Um he also has injury issues, and that's the reason he hasn't really liked to do that in the regular season. So, so we'll see. What do you? Yeah, think he's not only going like? to need to be Bubble Davis; he's going to need to be like Defensive Player of the Year Davis. I think because mm-hmm. this is this is a team that's leaning so much further offensively than they are defensively relative to these other recent Laker teams. But at the same time, you know, you mentioned Taylor Horton Tucker as an X factor for this team. This whole team is X factors. It's like if if we're not hitting threes on a given night. How are we going to be scoring if we're not getting stops on a given night and don't have that free transition play? How are we going to put up enough points to stay competitive with some of these teams that are going to come in bombing away? And I mean, we, we've been dancing around it with the ring, wing rotation, but like some guys in this team just cannot guard, i.e. like the Carmelo Anthony contingent of this team. Some guys can't shoot. Some guys don't really have a function that slates, you know, slots in comfortably next to the star players on this team. There's just so many questions with how the Lakers are going to play. I'm not totally sold on, I think, the vision behind this team, but I can't Mm -hmm. wait to see what it looks like. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that Russell Westbrook, 
He has such a unique energy as a player. And it's always interesting to see how it bends and shapes any kind of new world that's around him. Yeah, yeah. I guess let's start there. Um, Westbrook, they signed, they signed, uh, or they traded for Westbrook when Buddy Heald seemed like he was available. Buddy Heald would have been a much more natural fit around LeBron James, just like a, a dead eye shooter. Um, can, you know, score, can, can really score the basketball. Um, and they just decided to go in a completely different direction by bringing Westbrook. I mean, we all know what Westbrook is ball dominant. Um, has, Started to move a little bit better off the ball than he did. Yeah, I, I can see. I can see. Has Ro- he? Rob's tilting has his he? head. Rob's tilting his head. <laughs> I would say he has. Um, and this is like where you can kind of get into like best case, worst case scenario uh, with the Lakers. Uh, Westbrook's best case scenario is probably uh, just playing really hard, um, crashing the boards, pushing on, tra- pushing in transition, and then kind of going back to that Houston. Uh, role that he had with Harden where he wasn't shooting threes anymore and he was like cutting baseline just working off of Harden's leverage and also just you know waiting um on on the wings while he drove taking a driving kick and instead of shooting just just trying to to finish over the collapsing defense that is the Westbrook story like we know what it is right like that's he is going to go into the rim and try to finish over two people the question is kind of just going to be like can he and then on this team if he can't um, do they have enough of a rebounding advantage that they can just make up for that? Like, this is a very, very interesting team in that regard. Um, and they're going to need to do that to make up for the lack of spacing. So that's kind of like the best case scenario version of them. Uh, Rob, what's the worst case scenario with Westbrook? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, let me tell you. Uh, well, I think part of the worst case scenario with him starts with health. And it's really yeah. this layered problem with LeBron at his now advancing age, mm-hmm. Anthony Davis with his injury history, and Russell Westbrook with his injury history. You know, maybe you can survive games without one of those three, but if two of those guys are out, you start having real problems. And with Westbrook in particular, he's one of those guys who, when he gets hurt, especially with lower body injuries, we've had seen him with hamstring stuff, knee injuries in the past, he has a really hard time finishing. You know, he, he's mm-hmm. such a powerful finisher around the basket, but I wouldn't say his touch is commensurate with other point guards. Like, he doesn't have that Steph or Kyrie kind of, like, layup game per se. It's it's all explosive. It's all getting, you know, trying to beat his man. Uh, but he'll chunk some balls off the backboard sometimes. It's just, like, part of who he is as a player. And so if he has any kind of lingering injuries through the season, and we know that he's not much of a three-point shooter, we know his mid-range game really comes and goes, if he's not finishing well on top of that because of injuries, because of anything else— that could be a real problem. I think the best case version that you outlined is kind of that flashback to who he was with James Harden, the best version of that team. And it could be even better because if you're playing, you know, 3-1 pick and roll with LeBron with the ball and Westbrook screening for him, the size difference between those two guys makes it really hard for whoever's guarding Westbrook to suddenly pick up LeBron in a way that was even more even more dramatic than it was with Harden. So like I love the vision of that. But then when you look at everything that's going on on the court around them in terms of spacing, in terms of the other pieces on the floor, in terms of what that means for Davis and the positions it puts him in, I don't know. I'm, I'm just like, I would say I'm more of a Lakers skeptic overall than, than probably uh, most of the NBA body politic. Yeah, I call them the most interesting experiment in the league. And I think that's exactly, exactly what they are. Like the age issues are, are here for, for, for pretty much anybody on, on this team. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. 
And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two for five dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20 for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Let's move on to the Nets. The Nets uh, title favorites, despite losing last year, uh, but now we're in an interesting situation because... I think obviously a big reason that they were title favorites um, is because Kyrie was out and, you know, they also had dealt with the James Harden injuries um, and just like a general, you know, like they were, they were hit by COVID pretty much harder than everybody else. Like they were a new team. I think there were a lot of reasonable reasons um, why you would have them over the Bucks, even though the Bucks won a championship. However, <laughs> we are now in a situation where the Nets are actually looking a lot closer to the team that lost to the Bucks in seven. Um, with uh, with Kyrie's status kind of up in the air, we don't know if uh, if the Nets are going to let him play part time. Uh, if he's going to eventually just get vaccinated and, and be able to join the team full time. If the general Kyrie-ness of the situation is then going to lead to, you know, I'm glad that everybody else is vaccinated, right? Because now we got Paul Millsap just kind of going down these Kyrie wormholes on tw- on Twitter. Um, so it's it's probably a good thing that that they all got their vaccinations, it seems like, before training cap started. <laughs> we got we, we got to get Paul Millsap out of the algorithm. He's just Yo, in a wormhole, real. clicking on YouTube links, going further and further down. Yo, for real. For real. He's a... Uh, I, I, th- I think we could all use a little bit more... Um, we should all be checking our algorithms, you know. I think a big thing in in the early to uh, the early two, 2010s, what do you call them? Was checking your privilege. I think now you should just be like checking your algorithm. Like what <laughs> what what is what is it telling you that the world really is? Because um, mine is all just like couch guy. Do you know who couch guy is? What is couch guy? Okay, so couch guy was um, on t- this. Uh... Are you on TikTok? Absolutely not. Oh, you should be. You should be. We're just talking about checking our algorithm and you're telling me to get more on TikTok? Out of all of the algorithms, it is, I think, the best. It gives me a genuine dopamine rush. I think it gives me actually what I want to see um, as opposed to like, 
you know when you check like youtube and you're like i don't care about any of this like why are you pushing this on me i think i think tiktok is, is maybe a little bit more subtle it's like you know grooming me for the for the later dangers um but, so couch guy is um uh, this uh this meme that came up because a girl went to her boyfriend's college to surprise him um and she walks in and like there's three guys and there's three girls and 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 the boyfriend is sitting on the couch uh with three girls everyone's laughing he looks like like he did not expect this coming at all um we've now gotten to a situation with it where there there's like a zabruder film level of analysis of whether the girl beside him um had his phone and then like kind of had to slip it to him um also just some level of like you know kind of just like they were sitting pretty close together then she kind of like goes a little bit more in the other direction like not you're trying to be subtle but like with it was subtle but with with like video (laughs) cameras it just it just isn't um wonderful wormhole a lot of people recreating stuff i think it's great um but yeah anyway that's that's my algorithm Kyrie's algorithm is obviously very (laughs) different than than mine which is why he's one of the reasons i imagine he is not uh going to be playing full-time for the nets this this season uh what is your uh let's let's do this starting lineup too what's your ideal net starting lineup without Kyrie? it's a great question because i think it gets at the heart of what you think those other four guys need i think you know we're penciling in harden durant joe harris and one of Blake Griffin or LaMarcus Aldridge, I think is probably what makes the most sense. So it's out of that fifth spot, do you want a little more dynamism in like a Patty Mills type? Do you want, you know, maybe someone like Bruce Brown who's shown he can be effective basically working as a 6'4 big man for them? Personally, I like the idea of getting a little more perimeter defense with that group. And so I'm leaning more toward either Javon Carter or DeAndre Bembry, two guys who are not like big NBA names, Mm -hmm. but are real deal defenders, pressure defenders, guys who can pick up full court and save Harden from having to take, you know, tougher defensive assignments. Yeah. So the Nets are kind of like, if everything kind of stands as it is, the Nets are kind of like the opposite of the Lakers in that I generally am okay with almost any starting lineup that they could throw out there because they are actually just like filled with guys that you'd want to like have on your starting lineup um like two well, way players al- who, sorry go ahead they also showed last season you know steve nash started at some point basically everybody we've already mm-hmm. seen most of these permutations of players be at least effective to some degree yeah yeah and i think that's generally probably something that's good to acknowledge here too where when we talk about starting lineups it just isn't what it used to be um i don't think you really need to know who your best five are anymore you probably want to know who your best five, like six or seven are and how to like how you would want to configure them against specific teams um and i feel like that's kind of what the nets are really built to do one thing that's kind of so i want to get 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 your take on this um i feel like they're gonna kind of miss deandre jordan that's where this podcast is going we're going into they're gonna miss deandre jordan territory that's why i didn't give you a real rundown (laughs) this is this is a hell of a thing to just drop on somebody in the middle of a show why are they gonna miss deandre jordan well uh so if you look at the lakers um they probably went a little too far in that direction right but they went full jordan yeah they went full jordan right i think you like to go a little bit of jordan right like you want one of dwight or or drummond or or deandre or like you know just that that subtype of like seven foot giant big men that can go get get lobs i think one of those guys is good to have on your team um they no longer have anybody on their team like that and i just think that like when you have a player like harden 
who is just like one of the best lob throwers in the league, like you're kind of just missing out a little bit on free points. I'm not saying that you're going to go and play him like, you know, 20 minutes a game in the playoffs, but having that utility piece, I think can be really helpful. I think it helped the Lakers two years ago. I think going too far in that direction hurt them and, you know, injuries and all that other stuff hurt them the the next year. Um, And I think it's just, I think it's just good to have. Uh, If you look at kind of the, the, the Nets Bucks series, for example, like, DeAndre wasn't a horrible defender on on Giannis in the, in the regular season. Uh, I think he's a little bit more playable than some of these other guys. I, I, I can yeah. All right, what what do you got? What do you got? I got I got nothing. No, please continue. <laughs> it felt it felt like you had something. Um, yeah, I just I just think that that's one element that they're gonna miss. But they do have a lot of really like good solid like maybe undersized defenders who like you know Bruce Brown is shooting well in the preseason um his shot was improving through the course of last season we'll see how it kind of plays out Paul Millsap is a great addition for them uh but they're ground bound all of these guys and I think that that can kind of that can hurt you against some of the better defensive teams when you just don't have all of the passing angles that you could possibly have well that's where it's going to come down to what were the arrangements made with these guys who they just brought in on minimum contracts? Like, what does LaMarcus Aldridge think his role is supposed to be? Or Paul Millsap, how Mm -hmm. much do they think they're going to play? Because if it's very malleable and you could bench them, you know, DNP, CD some nights, you know, they'll play 25 minutes other nights, then I think you have room to play Nick Claxton more, who gives me a a taste of what you're Mm -hmm. talking about. And that was where one of my favorite kind of arrangements of Nets last season was the bench Nets, where it was James Harden and then this group of bench guys. You know, you have, I think you had Joe Harris out there mm-hmm. a lot of times too with him. And he could just run pick and roll after pick and roll with Claxton, pick and roll after pick and roll with what big wing, whoever you want to put on the floor, mismatch hunt, where you don't have so much service to do in terms of Kevin Durant is maybe the best offensive player in the history of civilization. We should probably get him the ball a lot. Uh, and so you had some of that look in terms of a lob threat, a guy who's going to the rim. But I don't know how much Nick Claxton's going to play if all of these veteran bigs think that they're going to be getting serious minutes. I have to imagine. And I mean, obviously, like you just you don't know what conversations are being had when a guy is signing at a specific place. Um, they also added James Johnson, um, who was kind of in, in that similar mold. Um I have to imagine that a Steve Nash team, just based on the way that he coached them last year, just will not be giving any guarantees to anybody outside of like, you know, Harden, Durant, and then like, you know, Kyrie, if he, if he chooses to show up. Um, I think for most of these guys, like you kind of take the opportunity of like, maybe this, like if you're a guy like Blake, for example, sign there for another year and then either like you can kind of go in whatever direction you want from there like either it's just like maybe they win a championship and it's just like okay bye bye um or like it just becomes an opportunity for you to get a little bit more value out of your next contract um i think i think somebody like paul Millsap, who's never won a championship is probably in the same boat too i imagine there will be frustrations right like the nets if if Nothing else. Like I think, I think we have to predict that there will be more drama on this team than there will be on your average team. Uh, but at the same time, like you know, like these guys are a little bit older too, um, and they haven't won a chip. So I can kind of just see them getting in line. And and the same same goes with Aldridge. Aldridge might be like the one where you kind of think about it. But I don't know. I have to imagine that like if you're just not, you know, if you're his age and you're just not able to move your feet that way, like at a certain point. It's kind of like AD with like just being okay with the fact that he's playing five. Like you have to just concede to reality in certain moments. I love Nick this. Is Claxton. where we 
This is where we have to protect Paul Millsap from the algorithm. I worry about what his search history could become if he's in February getting DNP CDs. You know, it's very easy to see him sliding into Jordan Peterson territory very quickly. Yeah, yeah, just like too long of a road trip. It's cold. I don't know what COVID is going to look like. Maybe like, yeah. Yeah, everybody be on Paul Millsap watch, please. Um, what is the the worst case scenario with the Nets? I mean, it's Kyrie doesn't play all season. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, another team with pretty significant injury histories in terms of Kevin Durant's. And if those guys can't stay healthy, if you don't have these two huge tent poles that are propping up this entire franchise, all that depth, all these options we've been talking about, kind of go out the window like Kevin Durant can be a really good single star as we saw in the playoffs he had to Mm -hmm. do that sometimes but if you're doing that for 60 games and then playoff series if you're if you have kind of that long haul to do if, if anyone on this team suffers a major injury especially Durant or Harden things could get tricky but other than that if they're on the court especially those two guys in particular this team's going to be awesome. They're going to be really, really good, mm-hmm. really hard to match up with, even for the best teams in the league. Like every team has to be asking themselves right now, who's going to guard Kevin Durant? And there are no good answers to that question. Yeah, and then if you have that one, it's like who's going to guard James Harden? Um, right. Who's like I, I would say um, out of the guys that you could start, the fatigue factor is one of the reasons that I like starting Bruce Brown. Uh, just because, so Bruce Brown is like one of the most interesting players in the league. Um, I'm not sure if people know this, but before he was like this hybrid six, five big man who just like found any, any and all space that he could on the court and, you know, played plays next to guys who are really good at passing the ball, like James Harden. Um, before that he was actually a point guard. Um, so you could kind of have him in a, in like a ball handling role where he's initiating the offense and just taking some of that load off of. Harden and KD and then also being the guy that can take like the difficult defensive assignments and then after giving getting the ball to them be like more of a a cutter um and and potentially a floor spacer probably more of a cutter though playing in that role that he did last season which oddly like is a weird thing about the Nets and maybe it's it maybe it's similar to like the leverage that that uh that Steph and and Clay had just being like such strong shooters where you could play Bruce Brown and Blake Griffin at the same time. And Bruce Brown is still going to find his space. And Blake Griffin is still going to be able to do like all the Blake Griffin things that he does. Uh, which was really interesting to me. Because when they signed him, I was kind of thinking like, okay, it might be the end there for, for Brown. Especially like, you know, Claxton was coming back from injury. But he's really sticky. And I just kind of wonder what, what it would be like to just, just ride with him. When you have lots of options there, too, in terms of the bigs that could play with him, you know, as long if LaMarcus Aldridge is going to continue shooting threes, as he did, you know, toward the end of his San Antonio time, if Paul Millsap can, you know, he's kind of an unreliable three-point shooter, but has some stretch, has a floor game, can make plays. You just want to have a situation where whoever is moving in, there's a corresponding player moving out in terms of who's taking up space inside. And so that's where, you know, if if Bruce Brown is going to be 6'4", Amari Stoudemire, as long as you have bigs who are going to space the floor a little bit, it can work out really well. I mean, he mm-hmm. he fits very well with the way the Nets play and how fluid their game is, which for as, as star-bound as they are, as star-laden as this roster is, they moved the ball really well last season. And, and Brown is a beneficiary of a lot of that. Yeah, they might be the single most like interchangeable team in the NBA where I feel like the style that they play from you know, basically starting lineup from the first, from the first minute, the 23rd minute and the 47th minute, I think it would be like very difficult to, other than intensity, differentiate like 
what's what time is this in the game like is this the starting lineup like uh, how much do these guys care right now all of that stuff like it kind of just feels like it's always on the same level with the nets um do you think that helps them or hurts them i think it helps i mean it helps from a matchup standpoint it probably makes this like the question of who their starters are less relevant than it would for other teams just because they have so many options they have so much flexibility they're just impossible when you when you walk into a game against the Nets to know exactly what you're going to get, know exactly what version of that team is going to show up, not from an inconsistency standpoint, but just like, how are they going to choose to beat us tonight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think that now, now like, assuming, I'm, I don't know, I don't know where you're at with this, but, like, at this point, until he's vaccinated, I'm kind of just assuming that Kyrie is, like, not available at least for half the season then we'll kind of see where it goes from there uh do you think that this version of the team should still be title favorites i think probably so and some of that is because we've already seen glimpses of how dominant they can be even without him Mm -hmm. and harden and durant are just that good so i think there are enough options here and there's enough you know 99th percentile shot creation between their two core guys that you know Irving is icing on the cake in a lot of ways he's the luxury that puts them from favorites to overwhelming favorites but even without him plug in the rest of the lineup we haven't talked about Patty Mills a lot he's going to be great for them too uh the rest of this group is is more than good enough to win Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. another underrated thing too is that like I know that we kind of I don't know as an NBA Twitter like nerd habitus actually I learned the word habitus yesterday um It's basically, like, how certain groups of people, like, cluster together and start to behave in in the exact same way and think that's, like, it's it's kind of, like, it's a more, um, it's a more nuanced version of of the echo chamber, uh, but also considering, like, physical movement and and just, like, style of of talking. Anyway, the NBA Twitter habitus probably overrates uh, PJ Tucker a little bit. Uh, At the same time... I think he was so important in that Nets Buck series that like that that is a big big part of it to me. Um like why I think the Nets should probably be favorites too. Um I kind of changed my mind on it like every day I might change my mind at the end of this podcast. Um but I don't know, I just want to go back to that 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 KD that KD uh 2 on the line. And I'm just going to say that if P.J. Tucker hadn't been guarding him for like the first seven games that series, Kevin Durant would have known where the three-point line is. That's it. You're saying he wasn't even seeing straight at that point. He was so worn down by P.J. Tucker. I'm saying that you can forget certain things or like you can just lose your focus in those moments when like, you know, like really good scorers like that, they always know where the three-point line is. I think that's just a lapse in focus that was created by like not just P.J., but but the Bucks in general and just how, how tired they made the Nets. Um, they That was probably one of the series that was pro- like, that was the most, like, asterisky, I guess. Um, and I don't, I don't, I don't mean love that in that. a negative way. I don't love way. that. So I don't mean that in a negative way. Um, the way that I see last season is, and every season really, is, you know, every team on some level is meeting a moment. Like, no matter what, right? Like, if you want to look at the, the the Warriors, they don't exist in a different era, right? Like, the three-point revolution, they catapulted it, but, you know, it also catapulted them. Um, and then you can you can kind of go down the line on this thing. Like, style meets, like, a certain environment that, that suits it. Um, 
And this past season's environment definitely suited the Buck style of play. I don't necessarily look look at that like that's a bad thing because I think that's kind of the case in any season. Um, especially now, like where you can think of so many different excuses for why a team didn't deserve to win. Um, so that's not where I'm trying to go here, but it is different, right? Like we are obviously going to be like dealing with a different scenario this year. Like, you know, I don't, you know, you hope that, uh, COVID will be under control, that there won't be as many, um, people missing games due to COVID and then like rosters, staffs, everything being as stretched out as it was. And they also, another shortened off season, but still not as, uh, not as short as uh, as last season. So it is going to be different sledding, I guess. And, like, I don't know. I just kind of wonder, like, there's two different ways to look at the Bucks in that scenario where they could come in and have, like, the that bump that you get after winning your first championship. Like, they're obviously, like, I think pretty much everybody on that team, especially Giannis and Middleton, are going to, are going to continue to improve in general. And then there's, like, the, hey, nobody believes in us sort of thing that you can, I mean, like, I'm literally doing it right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, and just knowing each other better, I think they found some stuff in the playoffs in terms of, like, how to run how to run their offense. Uh, Giannis obviously, like, just hit a new level. Uh, the other end of it is they played longer than anybody else, and uh, Drew and, and Middleton went to the Olympics, and we saw what kind, we saw what happened to the Lakers and and even like the Heat to a lesser extent after yeah. their championship run. Uh, so I don't know. I'm I'm really curious to see how uh, how things play out with the Bucks. There's a lot to unpack with them, but I think fundamentally, what gives me hope in their chances is just the fact that midway through that Brooklyn series, and I think one of the big reasons why, even including the injuries trying to put attach too many qualifiers or asterisks to it, I think is a disservice to what the Bucks did, mm-hmm. is because Giannis fundamentally changed during that series. About midway through, his focus, his approach, the way he was attacking the game, I don't think you're putting that back in the box. Like He is just a different player on this side of that series than he was before it. And if you have that guy, you can beat anybody. You can beat even a team like the Nets. Even with all the questions about P.J. Tucker and like, can we guard him? Who's going to match up with KD? They don't have nobody has an answer for that version of Giannis. And so it'll be interesting to see over the course of this year what teams try that's a little different, if they change up their matchups with him, how they try to reckon with this fact that this is an unstop a genuinely unstoppable player. Mm-hmm. And in ways that he wasn't before, where he's not just like revving up and trying to blow through you, but he has the hook shots and the push shots. He's starting a little lower on some possessions. He just has so many ways to overwhelm you physically that I wouldn't count Milwaukee out of any any situation, any series, even if Drew and, and Chris are exhausted all year. If Giannis is healthy, they're going to be really freaking good. Yeah, I feel like there's a point, maybe it was like the game four, game five mark of uh, the Nets series where, you know, Blake was doing a really good job on, on Giannis defensively. And I don't exactly know what happened, but that just ended towards the, the end of that series. <laughs> Um, he was doing a really good job until suddenly he wasn't. Yeah, yeah, and which is honestly like, isn't that how it goes with defenders on superstars? <laughs> like you're kind Oof. of you're you're a superstar stopper until you just aren't anymore. Um, that said, though, like I do believe that the Nets have more guys that can defend Giannis than pretty much anybody else. Like that, and defending Giannis is obviously a relative term. Uh, but in terms of just like size matchup, like I think there was a reason that Blake was able to keep up with him. Like he does have, he does have like the right mix of strength and agility at his age, um, and just like IQ to to be able to do it. Uh, Kevin Durant, 
you know, Giannis can probably bulldoze through him, but you know, he can, he has, he has a size, he has a speed, Claxton, Millsap, like, I don't think that you can stop Giannis, but I, I would say like looking at the, uh, the Eastern conference, like I don't see any other team that has guys that they can throw at him like that other than maybe like, I don't, I don't think the six, like the Sixers defenders aren't necessarily suited for Giannis. And I th- I'd say maybe the heat, but they also, I mean, they don't have like, they have, they have Tucker now. We'll see, I guess we'll see how he does on the opposite, opposite side of him. But the Nets are probably the most loaded in terms of like guys that can also, because of all, all that they have, like guys that they can, they can afford to put in foul trouble too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other teams I think would have to make pretty dramatic choices. Mm-hmm. Like the six, the Sixers would have to just like put Joel Embiid in the paint and say, we're going to live with Brooke Lopez corner threes for seven games and see how it breaks out. And other teams would have you know a different version of that same choice, whether you're looking at the Hawks or I mean, really, I don't know how many teams are, we're really counting on to bust through the east because the nets and the bucks are so good like that's that seems like they are on a collision course for the eastern finals if as long as both teams can stay relatively healthy even with all the questions that they have on the bucks side you know for Mm -hmm. for a proven champion this is also a team that really rebuilt its entire bench down to the nuts and bolts you know bobby portis and pat Connaughton are still here but everybody else is gone pj tucker is gone as you said and there's going to be ramifications of that um you know they get dante divincenzo back which i think that's probably their likely fifth starter but a fifth starter that doesn't do anything for you in the how do we guard Kevin Durant conversation. Uh, and to, to your point about PJ too, I think where you get the payoff of that shot at the end of game seven of Kevin not knowing where the three-point line is and being just like a little bit too fatigued to hit that look, that's the difference between a defender like PJ Tucker who is not only good at contesting but does so much physical work early in terms of fighting guys mm-hmm. for position that they kind of lose track of where they are versus even if you are a really long agile pressure defender who's going to you know contest shots really well you got to do both sides of that things uh, both sides of that thing to really unnerve or push off the best scorers in the game and i don't know that the bucks have that short of if they want to try to deploy Giannis in that way if they i, I i'm just not seeing how they're going to match up with durant per se short of you know, maybe that's a Chris Middleton job now, just because they don't have a lot of great options. And personally, if I were the Bucks, I would worry about grinding a guy like Giannis down if we're talking about who's going to guard Kevin Durant for seven games. I would too. I would honestly probably prefer Drew on him just because like he has the wingspan. He might see he is ultimately he is undersized to guard him, but I think that pretty much everybody is undersized to guard guard Durant but he has like he has this strength and he can really get into his base in a way that I think would probably wear out a guy like Middleton who can guard Durant in different ways I think probably better at cutting him off uh but in terms of like that fatigue factor that you want to create Drew is probably the best at that and also like the guy whose offense that you don't necessarily need and that's 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 a lot of that is also essentially the formula that that the Bucks use in the playoffs for for a good deal well, and Drew has done it before too. When he was with New Orleans, he guarded KD a lot. When you know mm. going up against the Warriors and stuff, not always super effectively because Durant can you know back him down to eight feet and hit little turnaround jumpers. But mm-hmm. what are you gonna do? You're, you're giving up something to that guy, no matter who you're guarding him with. Yeah, I mean, at, at bottom, like it's it's not like Tucker. You wouldn't say he guarded him effectively either, right? Like that's not really what you're trying to do with a guy like Kevin Durant. I would love to see Giannis in that scenario, just from a pure basketball. Uh, yep. point of view 
I also wonder if that's not the direction to go with Giannis. Maybe that's what makes him so unstoppable because he can kind of bump off everybody. But, like, are, are you really going to wear him down on offense? Like, what is the version of that? So I just like that. That's one thing that you kind of notice during the finals is just like the dude just never really seemed to get tired. And there was nobody that could really like, you know, just meet him in the paint and be like, yeah, this is going to hurt you a little bit. He was actually the only one putting the hurt on. And, and that was through a knee injury. Like he was playing mm-hmm. through a hyperextended knee and never seemed to get tired, which mm-hmm. as we've seen anyone playing through injury, you, the rest of your body just has to compensate so much, especially when you're storming the paint and dunking over people, hitting like, you know, crucial game deciding alley-oops in transition. I don't know how he did any of that. I, I It just must have been pure adrenaline at that point, kind of taking him through the end of those playoffs. But if that's him in a slightly diminished state, Imagine what we're going to see if we get a healthy Giannis through a full playoff run, again, in this more unlocked form. He's he's just a totally different thing to be reckoned with. See, I feel like we're both in this in this situation where we are picking the Nets as, uh, yeah. as finals favorites, but we're also just like, I, I'm kind of talking myself back into the Bucks. I feel like you're talking me back into the Bucks. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I might switch my pick back. It's been it's been a total of 15 minutes and I might be all the way back. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it took. 15 minutes of good podcasting time and you're re- you're back on the Drew Holiday train. You're ready to commit, ready ready to go full bucks. Exactly, exactly. Um the last theme I wanted to hit on with you here is is the Suns. Um we have kind of forgotten that they exist on some level. Uh they haven't really been a team that there's been a lot of buzz about. Uh but they went to the finals last year. They are bringing back pretty much the exact same roster. Um, other than Chris Paul, who I imagine... You know, I, th- I think one of the factors that... You don't, you don't, you can't predict injury, but just how lucky they got in general with Chris Paul injuries, even with him being injured. I know that he had injury issues, but like it's all relative with Chris Paul. How lucky they got with having him like in the moments that really mattered, I don't know if that will recreate itself, but everything else with this team, it should kind of be the same or better. Uh, they are one of the youngest teams in the, in the NBA. Like Devin Booker should be coming back better. He went, he was also on team USA. Um, you know, Cam, Cam Johnson, Deandre Ayton, like it's just, they have Mikhail one Bridges. of the youngest, most promising teams in, in, in the NBA and their championship odds are plus 1500, um, worse than, worse than the Warriors. Uh, the level of disrespect in that, I just don't get, I, I don't get how a team like the Warriors who, I mean, speaking of franchises with huge questions, existential questions about how they're going to fill out the rotation. They have all these young guys, all these wild cards. The Suns are like as much of a dependable entity as there is outside of the Bucks. That's you know maybe outside of the Bucks and Nets, just given the star power of the Nets. But this is a team that absolutely wears you down with competence. Like they just are unfailing in what they do. They stick to their game plans. They don't make mistakes. I don't see how that's that kind of long shot team. I, I think the Suns have a really good shot to win the West. To be honest with you. Okay, yeah, um, that's exactly where I'm at. I might pick them to win the West. Honestly, like the plus fifteen hundred odds. I think anybody right now should just hit those. Like no matter what, even if you aren't a Suns believer, like that is just ridiculous. Um, if you look also at like we just talked about the Lakers and all these many different configurations of of like strangeness and all the questions around them, all the in- injury, age issues, spacing issues. 
that they're gonna have like I don't understand why the Nets who are just like we have seen them do it they beat the Lakers I'll be an, an injured Lakers team but beat them um because of the same principles that they kind of are dealing with right now in terms of like just like who is going to guard every pick and roll all the time and that's what the Suns do right like they just run pick and roll all the time yep. um and like what do you it's it's Devin Book and Chris Paul who can shoot from from anywhere and like Chris can get the ball to anybody Devin is basically just like you know like you know, he became Chris Paul uh <laughs> I forgot about I forgot about that storyline up until just uh just now uh <laughs> which you know uh good for me uh, they also added they also added Shamit um which I think is is a great guy to have um I don't know I just don't get it I don't get it. Like, I feel like it's it's a weird thing where I feel like it's almost a waste of time to make the case because we all watch the team, the finals, and they're the exact same. So I don't know why we are like it is just maybe maybe the belief in this being an asterisk season is actually just like much higher than what I thought it was. And there is like a natural tendency to go back to like a juggernaut like LeBron, KD type of thing. Like I see how people have more belief in, in that, but like this it's just they're one of the most well-balanced teams in the NBA they play great defense they have a great offense they now have experience in the finals um they know exactly who they are they know who they should be starting and I imagine that like like the Bucks they probably have a really sour taste in their mouths too it's crazy that we do have to make this case like you're saying this isn't something we should have to try to explain but the the overall level of pessimism of of the Suns and the run that they had is a little bit incomprehensible to me. I think it's caught up in so much of the conversation around whether it's asterisk talk, whether it's the Lakers injuries specifically. I mean, they caught breaks. Every good playoff team catches breaks. And what the Suns are good at is capitalizing on whatever advantages Mm -hmm. they get. Like they are ruthless in that kind of execution. I think one stopping block for them would be the fact that this is a machine that kind of runs on good vibes and if DeAndre Ayton's contract situation spills over in a way where he's like looking for some different kinds of shots, he doesn't want to just like run to the rim and rebound anymore. Maybe there's a problem there. But short of that, I am, I am picking the Suns. I, I think there's there's kind of a Myers-Briggs uh, spectrum here of like, are you leaning more toward Lakers or, or I mm-hmm. guess anyone else? I don't see a lot of people picking the Suns, frankly, uh, but I think they're probably the next, the other logical candidate. Or are you leaning Nets and Bucks? And kind of like how you fall on that axis probably says something about who you are as a person. In this case, I'm picking the like dependable, rock solid. I know exactly how mm-hmm. they're going to execute. I know exactly what their floor is, which is super high. Mm-hmm. And all the potential of, as you mentioned, Aiton and Booker and Bridges and Cam Johnson, like these are huge upside players potentially who have levels to go that, you know, potentially as soon as this season. So I see that as I see that as a finals team. I don't think that they have a thing to do with the Bucks or the Nets if they get there, mm-hmm. but I think that's a finals team. Yeah, I I agree with you. And it's strange that the West has now become like the watered down uh, conference. But yeah, the the Suns like make me, the Suns make me feel safe. You know, like they the Suns have like a secure attachment style. You know, like yep. you just go in like you can, you can be who you need to be around them. Um, <laughs> they also like they're built for the playoffs. Yep. Like that was a great point that you made there about like just the fact that they do. They they take advantage of every single thing that the, that you give them. Like they did have like that. Like it got annoying how how much of like a Chris Paul vibe that they had in terms of just like looking for every possible matchup that they could take advantage of, and like maybe playing a little bit slower than they want to. Um, that could kind of go back to the Aiton thing as well. Like I imagine that they could 
play a little bit faster and get him get him better looks and you know just reconfigure some of the things on that team because I think that one of the things that did drag them down later down the line is be- is that like they got stuck in the mud in the finals but they also like very much like planted themselves in that mud and then like you know took took a shovel and started like just putting it on on their own legs just like we're not going to be moving um it is absolutely ridiculous too that like we're like that Aiton is even in this situation like when you are like first of all they made the finals but like I think that like when you ask like a number one pick like him to sacrifice the way that he has I think that like the back end of that has to be, especially if, like, this is a guy that you drafted and he delivered, right? Like, he very much understood the assignment um, and became, like, a much a much better two-way force than I thought he was going to be this quickly. Like, I think the other end of that just has to be that you pay him whatever the hell he wants. Um, but, man, you know, like, that's kind of just, like, what you get with a franchise like The Sun sometimes. Like, like hopefully they sort it out but like i just i hope they don't ruin a good thing get this man his money exactly. you know like all exactly. I, you know, get, i'm not i'm not I, i'm not privy to these conversations but i can assure mm-hmm. you the conversation with ayton over last season was if you do x y and z you're going to get paid in the nba like you are going to get a big money contract if you play a team game if you give up mm-hmm. these kinds of touches if you play this role we're asking you to play like that's the chris paul pitch to DeAndre Ayton. That's the Monty Williams pitch to DeAndre Ayton mm-hmm. that gets him into that role that gets them to the NBA Finals. Like that's what he sacrificed is inextricable from both the team's success and the idea that he can still be a huge money player. Like yeah. he was operating under that assumption. I'm sure of it. That's the way bigs have to operate in the modern NBA. And so the fact that you would try to twist that against him or use as a reason not to pay him, mm-hmm. I-, I wouldn't really understand any of that. But what makes the Suns, I think, so compelling is like, they are the super low turnover team, as all Chris Paul teams are, but they benefit from the fact that Paul doesn't have to be the explosive element. Like you can get a huge game from Aiton, but more often you're just going to get incendiary performances from Devin Booker, where he can be the piece that you know puts you over the top if you're talking about a playoff series or a run or even just getting potentially the number one seed in, in the Western Conference. Paul doesn't have to be that guy. He can just be you know, the conductor who's going to make sure that all the trains are running to the minute on time. Yeah, there's going to be less teaching for for everybody this year. And that could be one of the one of the points that makes it a little less contentious is that just like, you know, I think it's I think it's hard to continually take like a lesson over and over again from a guy like uh, from from Chris Paul or really from from anybody. Right. Like that's kind of been the Chris Paul story. So if those guys are already where they need to be, like maybe that has Chris like just a little bit more calm down and like ready to just like let the let the kids steer the the ship there uh rob Look, I think- I'm, I'm i'm sipping the kool-aid over here I, I don't even know that i'm buying chilled out chris paul i don't i don't know that we're gonna see that this season yeah it's probably not gonna happen that's fair um it was actually kind of interesting during the finals like it felt like there were some moments where like you saw players get a little bit annoyed with him and it felt like oh okay like now we're at the place where like you're just telling me things that I already know. And that's what <laughs> gets annoying, right? Like, um, Rob, I believe that we have pretty much given away our cards here. I am in for a, a Nets-Suns finals. What do you got? I'm right there. I did not expect us to meet in this beautiful, happy place mm-hmm. at Nets-Suns. But here we are. We've Squad. talked ourselves into it sufficiently. I love it. I love it. Uh, thank you so much for joining the joining the show today. Uh, hopefully, we'll have you back again very soon. Uh, we will be back 
next week with uh, with Chris. Uh, thank you, Rob. Thank you, Troy. Have a wonderful week. Weekend. We record these on Fridays. <laughs> <laughs>